Our Advent sermon series continues on this third Sunday of Advent, The Weary World Rejoices. And we're going to turn our attention to the shepherds, uh, those who would have been on the outskirts of town and of society, but they are the bearers and the witnesses of this good news. Listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Uh, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those who he favors. And the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you found yourself thinking of Christmases of old more this year? I have. I found myself of late thinking back to Christmases past, maybe the residual grief of not being able to gather in mass this year. I was just lamenting to Sarah this week that I wish we could host her team's Christmas and holiday party again this year. We spent 10 minutes at our kitchen counter recounting last year's party, what we ate, the Christmas sweaters that we wore. Apparently, uh, her team has been talking about that party as well, and they remember me as the host who never let a wine glass get more than halfway empty. What can I say? Servant leadership. My memories have also gone back to a Christmas pageant this week that we had here at the church several years ago. It was held that year just after our annual Advent celebration in Carol Fest. It was everything that you think of when you hear the word Christmas pageant. It was a bit chaotic, scripted, and yet completely unscripted. If memory uh, serves correct, we, we held this particular pageant down in Founders Hall. Our young people were invited to put on costumes of their own choosing for the manger scene. Our children could choose to be an angel or a king or a queen or a shepherd. Just like in every Christmas pageant I've ever seen, there were many more angels and kings and queens than there were shepherds. Shepherds are often the least popular role to play. After the costumes had been tied and pinned and every halo straightened, our young people were given the very important instructions. Really, there was only one rule they needed to follow. Well, other than the obvious one, don't lose your parents. And that one rule was this, 
that the young people were to wait for their cue in the reading before making their way to the manger. Miss Anne assured them they need not worry that the person reading would make sure that they knew when it was their time, when it was their turn to come to the manger. And everyone got set, directions were given, and the scene was staged. And the pastors began uh, reading the Christmas story, just as we had planned. And it was going beautifully. But when we got to the part of the story about the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night and being visited by the angels, the shepherds and the angels, they didn't wait for their cue. They simply heard their name and they came sprinting to the manger. And they crowded around and pushed around the baby Jesus, the angels elbowing the shepherds out of the way. And when the story got to the part about the magi, the kings and the queens, having seen what the shepherds and the angels did, they didn't wait for their cue either. They came sprinting down the center aisle and they crowded around the manger and they started pushing the angels and the shepherds out of the way. And it just added more joy and laughter to the whole scene. Not one child waited for their cue. Not one child waited for their verbal invitation. Not one child wasted any time getting to the manger. There they were, all crowded in around the manger, no matter what role they had chosen to play. There they were, the rich magi, the poor shepherds, the heavenly angels. The only thing missing were the teenage parents and all those animals. It's quite an image when you stop and think about it. People from every walk of life who find themselves gathered at the manger. I mean, you have to wonder, don't you? When the shepherds showed up that night, don't you wonder if someone asked for the proof of their invitation? Don't you know someone had to have wondered? I wonder who invited them. I mean, the shepherds were not the most upright of society. They operated on the margins of society. They lived on the outskirts of town. I mean, if this had been just any ordinary gathering, don't you know, someone would have certainly said, who invited them? That question is as old as humankind. The question of us and them, we certainly spend a lot of time in our world today arguing about who's included and who is excluded. It shows up mostly in our language of us and them. I mean, spend any time on the website or uh, your iPhone app, nextdoor.com, and it is so clearly spelled out there. I mean, every person who doesn't fit the profile of someone who lives in your particular neighborhood immediately deemed as a suspect, a potential threat. Us as neighbors looking out against them that don't belong. And let me just say this, my dear friends. 
Next door is not the greatest expression of our best selves. Though this way of thinking is not limited to just our neighborhoods. Divisiveness is everywhere. You know, people entrenched on opposite sides of every issue known to humankind. Our national politics are certainly ground zero for this. Both sides viewing the other as threats and opponents to be taken out. In this season of great uncertainty, this way of thinking is even showing up in places and institutions that we hold most dear and share a common concern for. Our schools, our worshiping communities, even the boards that we serve on. You know, I was just talking to someone this week about the board that we serve on together. And they said, well, I'm just so frustrated Clearly, I'm the only one on the board who believes this way. And I said, well, how do you know that's true? And they responded, well, I can just tell. I mean, no one is asking the questions that I have. And I said, but I've never heard you ask a question at a board meeting. And even if you do have a differing opinion, it seems to me that's okay. I mean, we're all on the same team. Friends, viewing the world through the lens of us and them is certainly as old as the world. Though I want to pause and just say this as plainly as I can. It's not healthy. It's not life-giving. It's not the way of God to live this way. It's not the way of God because... Um, Viewing the world uh, through the lens of us and them forces us to make all kinds of assumptions about people. When in fact, we know very little about one another. When we uh, view the world through the lens of us and them, we know very little about others' motives or beliefs or values or their story or the entirety of their life. It's one of the many things I love about our passage this morning. Even the shepherds are invited. The lowly shepherds right there with the teenage parents of Jesus and the Magi. They're all there. The manger scene from the Christmas pageant reveals the deeper truth that there's actually no us and them. There's only us. One of my favorite uh, theologians, Father Gregory Boyle, puts it this way. Us and them, he says, is the opposite of God. How do we obliterate the illusion that we are separate? And how do we get to a place where there is just us? He says there's no such thing as an enemy. Because he says demonizing is always a lie. It's always an untruth. My dear friends, think about this. From Christ's very first breath, Jesus brought about this good news. From Christ's very first breath, God incarnate brought people from every 
corner of society together. The rich and the outcasts, the teenage parents, the magi and the shepherds and the animals, they were all there under the stars that were brightly shining. It's quite an image, a physical manifestation of the good news of God that we indeed belong to God. And because we belong to God, we belong to one another. There is no us in them. There's only we. My dear friends, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to walk around thinking that you have to defeat every person who disagrees with you. Is it not? It's soul-sucking and spirit-crushing to view every stranger with suspicion and fear. I mean, aren't you tired by now? Of writing the angry email response when you feel just a tad bit of resistance at the office? Aren't you exhausted by now? Having to defend your particular candidate just because you voted for him? Surely by now. You're exhausted by living more hours of your day on social media than you do in the present moment. Surely you're exhausted from arming up for every argument. I am. Living this way is exhausting. And more than it being exhausting, it will make your soul weary. It will make your mind weary, it will make your heart weary, and it will make your spirit weary. Though, my dear friends, there is a different way to live. A life to be found beyond the weariness of us and them. For at the manger and in Christ, there is no us and them, there is only we. We're on the same team. May that truth take on flesh in your life, in your world. For that is the good news, my dear friends, that will bring you great joy. May it be so. Amen.